Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We've got another big week of college football to talk about, some great games to break down, and we're going to do exactly that at the top of the show on Saturday Scouting. Myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, we're going to get all of their reactions from the weekend's action and how it will impact the NFL Draft. We'll give out our game balls from the weekend and talk through some NFL Draft storylines going into what's going to be week four of the college football season. Then we're going to transition to our on-the-clock segment where we will welcome in Chris McPherson for the third time he's going to serve as judge and jury for a debate between ben dane and i and the topic this week the best man-to-man cover corner in the country you do not want to miss that segment and then we've got our draft mailbag we've got a question from you at home and an eagles mock draft to look at real quickly before we start the show just a quick reminder Go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. It's the best way to throw us your support. If you're enjoying these twice-a-week podcasts now that we've transitioned into our regular season format, go on. Let us know. And if you've got a question or a mock draft or anything, you can go on. Leave us that comment. Leave us a rating. We will hit on it here in the show. That being said, let's jump right in. It's time now for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's jump in now. Saturday scouting, and we're going to start things off with draft buzz. And guys, the the big item here, I guess, that's really come to fruition over the last handful of days, really in the last week, the Big Ten returning. Yeah, you know, they've released their most updated schedule. It is the third schedule release for the Big Ten conference in this calendar year. It looks like it'll be the weekend before Halloween. I, I just want to real quick. We did this when it went the opposite way. Who's a guy that we were disappointed we're not going to see here this fall for the Big Ten? But now that it's back, let's say, look, it's big, it's big news. Let's talk about one guy each who we cannot wait to see take the field. Now that the Big Ten was taken away from us, and now we get it back, who's one guy that we're excited to see take the field? And I'll go first here. To me, it's the Penn State defensive end, Jason Oway. You know, so much upside. Uh, we've talked about, you know, he could be a first-round pick. The guy's never started a game. He's played very little football so far for the Nittany Lions. We're going purely off physical traits at this point when we're talking about what his projections are in the media. But in the flashes that we've seen from him on film, this guy has the ability – to be so dominant, you know, they lose Micah Parsons or I don't know that there's been uh, official word, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that he has said that he is definitely staying opted out or if he's definitely going to come back. But when you look at Jason Owe, he is a similar kind of physical marvel at his size with his speed, that first step, that ability to turn the corner. He's got natural power. I'm excited to see if this kid can put it together. They've they obviously lost some names along that Penn State defensive line to the NFL draft. He's in line for a big role. Yeah, Coach Franklin said that uh, they're having healthy discussions with Parsons, but I'd still be pretty surprised uh, if he decided to rejoin uh, the Nittany Lions. But yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right about Owe. He has not been on the field enough. He needs to get out there, and having this season back is tremendous for his development and just the opportunity that he has in front of him because he's just so blessed as an athlete at 6'5", almost 260 pounds. So I I can't wait to see him out there. Ben, who's, uh, who's the name for you? Well, Fran, I'm not going to pick one here because I'm a rebel and I do whatever I want here. But we're going to go with three guys in the same kind of category. And okay. it's Ohio State backfield. We got Trey Sermon coming over from Oklahoma. Good. We have Master Teague the third, who was stuck behind J.K. Dobbins for the last two years. Really interesting five-star running back. And then the, the wild card of the group, in my opinion, is redshirt senior DeMario McCall, who is a former running back, 
high recruit, and he's going to slide over into that kind of Curtis Samuel, Paris mm-hmm. Campbell slot receiver role. So they may get him on some more gadgety stuff, some more end around shallow crosses, but he is a dynamic athlete at 5'11", 190 or so in that kind of scat back body. Dan, who do you got here? Like Ben, it's hard to name just one guy because I think we could go Journey Brown at Penn State, Quiddy Pay, Michigan. But I mean, I'm gonna have to say Justin Fields, uh, stick with that Ohio State backfield. And this is a player who never opted out. He put a petition together, so they try to play. He has never wavered. He wants this season. He's hungry. Yep. Uh, not only for what he can add to his resume in terms of a national title, playoffs, possibly a Heisman, all of that, but also just the chance to get better. And he's, he's so eager to show his development and show what he's, how he's grown from last season, which last season was really the only season he's, he's had at the college level at quarterback as a starter. So I cannot wait to see him on the field in year two. Uh, now he's got a full season under Ryan Day with that playbook, with that offensive scheme. Uh, I'm so excited to see the improvements that he, that he has made. And they've got a, a, a game coming up on Halloween uh, at Penn State. And it's, it, that's going to be a lot of fun to see what he can do on the road there. I don't, who knows what the stands are going to look like in terms of you know, that intimidating uh, type of venue. We don't know what the capacity will be and how many fans will be allowed in. But still, Ohio State at Penn State will be a lot of fun, especially to watch Justin Fields just to see how he can perform. Well, I mean, Eagles fans could just get if the if fans are allowed in Lincoln Financial Field at that point, which we don't know, we're going to have to wait and see. Then fans will be allowed in Beaver Stadium, and if if not, then there will be no fans in Beaver Stadium for that matchup. I agree with you though that I feel like the last couple of months they've been a good look for Justin Fields and what he's done. I mean, a lot of been has been said about Trevor Lawrence and you know the the his increased voice, I guess, with with the players and Justin Fields. I think you would put right into that category. Real quick, guys, with Justin Fields now getting this full season. Do you feel like Trey Lance, if you're Trey Lance now, you know that Trevor Lawrence is getting the full year. You get Justin Fields for eight-plus games. Does that change your mind at all if you're Trey Lance? Say, look, like at best, I'm looking at one game here with this matchup against Central Arkansas in a few weeks. Does that maybe change in terms of your thinking in terms of maybe declaring for the draft? And Look, I've been in the camp that I feel like he should go back for another year regardless because I'm not a big fan of guys that are one-year starters, that, you know, especially as a redshirt sophomore. But what are your guys' thoughts? Do you think that this impacts – Trey Lance at all personally I don't think it should I mean if you're making your decision based off what other people are doing then you're making the wrong decision Hmm. you if you're Trey Lance you need to make the decision that is best for you it shouldn't matter if you're the second quarterback drafted or the third quarterback drafted it's fair Uh, you know it it, regardless you're probably still going to be a top 15 pick and even if you are the third quarterback drafted maybe you're going to a better team, a better, you know, who knows? And so I think if you're Trey Lance, do what's best for you. If you feel ready in your development, then go. If you don't feel ready, then go back. I think it really comes down to that and nothing with the other two quarterbacks. Yeah, it's going to be uh, just interesting to see what Trey Lance decides to do ultimately uh, moving forward over the next couple of months. All right, let's get to this weekend's action. Yeah, I thought there was some good football play. And I'll tell you what, I'll start with my game ball. Uh, I watched the Miami-Louisville game. Brevin Jordan, Ben, he, he got your game ball last week, I believe. Uh, he's going to get mine this week. Seven for 120 and a touchdown. Uh, he could have had two touchdowns. He came up just short, just inches short on diving for the pylon on a bubble screen, hurtled over a defender early in the first quarter, scored later on a big play, busted coverage down the seam. He was wide open down the middle of the field. But you could still see that athleticism and that dynamic playmaking ability 
from Brevin Jordan. I, there were a couple guys I thought about here in this game. Honestly, Derek King uh, made some nice throws. I thought about going with Derek King here, but it ultimately ended up with Brevin Jordan. I feel like you got to really see the playmaking ability from the tight end position from him uh, in this game. Dane, I'll go to you next. Uh, who got your game ball this weekend? Yeah, not Louisville defense, really. Uh, I mean, they, they owe Derek King uh, a lot because that, that certainly helped him make uh, some better throws. Uh, I'm sticking with the ACC. I went with Cody Pickett, quarterback at Pitt. I was just really impressed with how he performed against Syracuse. This is his third year as a starter. Uh, and I, to be honest, I wasn't blown away by what he put on tape before the season. But on Saturday, I thought he was extremely efficient. He looked in total control. He finished 25 of 36, 215 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Uh, he's not going to be a top draft pick because he's just very average physically. But I was really impressed with the pocket presence. I think he understands where the heat is coming from, uses his mobility really well to climb, move the pocket, keeps his eyes downfield. And I thought he showed really good timing with his progressions. A lot of high to low reads. The mechanics are very efficient. And that really allows him to deliver with zip no matter what the action requires. So Pickett gets my game ball because of the polish that he that he showed and just the veteran awareness uh, in the pocket. That's what helped Pitt get the win on Saturday. And that's why I think they could be a team that plays spoiler later in the season against higher-ranked teams like Notre Dame, Clemson. And I'll make a bold prediction right now. If he continues to play like this at this high level, he's going to receive a senior bowl invite. Uh, he's going to be drafted. Uh, it just really comes down to whether or not uh, you know he can keep this up. So Kenny Pickett, he gets my game ball. Interesting. Yeah, I'll stick here with the, uh, the Pitt Panthers and the fighting Pat Narduzzi's. Really interesting defense, and obviously Paris Ford on the back end, Amar Hamlin returned for his sixth year of eligibility. Uh, Patrick Jones is a really heavy yep. edge. Unfortunately, I think Jalen Twyman opted out. Yep. But that means there's a huge void to fill for Rashad Weaver. And he had a big game over the weekend against Syracuse, seven tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks. He's 6'5", 270. He's a big boy off, off the edge there. He reminds me a lot of Preston Smith coming out of Mississippi State, more of that heavier edge. The guy that's not really going to turn the corner, but a guy that can set the edge and win with some power moves. But the interesting thing about Weaver is he missed all of last year with an ACL. But the year before, he led the team in sacks and pressures. So he's a guy that's been on the field early in his career. He turns 23 years old in November, so he's a veteran guy, an older guy, and he's looking to come back with a vengeance particularly after what Patrick Jones and Twyman put up on the defensive line last year. He should have been part of that group. Redshirt senior, really good size. I'm expecting him to fall into 10, 12 sacks this year with that kind of attacking defensive front, especially on third down. So really interesting player. You weren't the only person that he stood out to. He was the, uh, the Senior Bowl Senior of the Week uh, this past week. If you go follow the Senior Bowl on Twitter, Jim Nagy had retweeted that as well. Uh, so Rashad Weaver uh, making some names as well as Kenny Pickett. Uh, so good for both of those Pitt Panthers. All right, let's go to our one-play takeaway. One play that stood out most from the weekend. Let's go reverse order this time. Ben, we'll start things off with you. So two ones real quick in the uh, Louisiana game. Elijah Mitchell, two big touchdowns in the second half. One between the tackles. And then the game-winning one where he bounced it off the edge and he showed that speed to get to the edge, get to the perimeter, and finish down the sideline there. I just like seeing that kind of thunder and lightning ability from him, not only inside but outside at 5'11", 215 pounds. He's a really good size speed, the ability to run inside, outside. He catches the ball well. University of Louisiana has been pumping out some kids lately, two offensive linemen last year, a running back. So pretty good uh, program developing down there. Elijah Mitchell, really good player. Dane, what do you got? 
That's a good call because, yeah, Mitchell, he's got some starter traits to him with that size, the receiving skills. So that, that is a good call. I went with Tylen Wallace, uh, wide receiver at Oklahoma State, who we've talked about here on the pod in our Big 12 preview. And it was good to see him back on the field, coming back from the ACL injury. Slow game for Oklahoma State. Uh, late in the third quarter, they're down 7-3, to three, deep in their own territory. It's looking like Tulsa. They've got a legit chance to pull the upset here. Then the Cowboys remembered, hey, we have Tylen Wallace on the outside. So quarterback throws a back shoulder pass. It results in a 24-yard catch that I think really showed Wallace why he's a next-level receiver. His ability to locate, adjust, finish, just outstanding. Uh, The play strength allows him to fight through contact, maintain his focus. He wins so many contested catches. He doesn't look 100%. He's dealing with a groin injury, still getting his feet back underneath him after uh, last season's ACL. But that play was just a little reminder of the impact that he can make on an offense. It also sparked – the Oklahoma State offense, because they marched down the field, scored the go-ahead touchdown on that drive. So, I mean, Tylen Wallace, he, he's, to me, right up there. Uh, you know, he, he's behind Devontae Smith when we talk about the top senior receivers. But he, he's right up there in terms of uh, the, the talents in this class that I'm really excited about translating to the next level. All right, well, I'm going to go back to the running back spot. Uh, ben talked about Elijah Mitchell. I'm going to talk about Cam Harris, the running back from Miami. More of a power back. You know, he's 5'10", 210. Uh, you can see he's kind of rocked up, looks the part. I'll tell you what, though. He showed some juice, guys. With a 75-yard touchdown early in the second half, uh, kind of got me, like, sitting up straight in my seat a little bit. Uh, gave Miami that 27-13 lead, uh, really, that they never kind of relinquished. But Cam Harris showed a little bit of juice. That was kind of my uh, big takeaway. Uh, there were a couple other ones that I thought about going with. I told you about uh, De'Ara King. He had a really nice touch throw down the sideline that was really impressive. I mentioned the uh, the hurdle from Brevin Jordan as well uh, on that little bubble screen. But, um, no, I went with Cam Harris here, the running back from Miami. Impressive play to get them on the board. Let's go now to our down-the-road freak show. A freshman or sophomore, not necessarily draft eligible, but a guy to file away for the future. Dane, uh, I will go to you to start this one off. I don't know if he really qualifies as a freak show uh, just yet because he's only thrown the ball five times in his college <laughs> career. But uh, uh, Oklahoma State, they were going to lose that game until true freshman Shane Illingworth entered the, entered the contest and pushed the ball downfield with his arm. Spencer Sanders went down with an injury. Uh, first half, a lower body injury. Uh, it looks like he could be uh, questionable the next few weeks. Ethan Bullock, the backup, came in, and Oklahoma State offense was just stagnant for two quarters. Then Illingworth enters the game late third quarter, and the offense just picked up steam immediately, finished four or five, 74 yards, and really that was the difference in the game. He's a four-star recruit from California, and I think Tylen Wallace summed it up perfectly after the game. Is He did not look like a scared freshman. Hmm. Yeah, Ben, who's yours? You know, I kept uh, noticing this little receiver for Boston College making plays over the weekend. 5'9", 170 pounds, Zay Flowers. Did not know a thing about him. Played a little running back last year. Kind of in the uh, Kadarius Tony positionless hmm. player category. You're a little too undersized to be a running back. Even too small to be an outside-the-numbers receiver. But he made a lot of big plays. Five catches for 162 and a touchdown. 101 of those coming after the catch against Duke. This kid just looked like he was in a different speed than the rest of the defensive backs and a little bit of competitiveness, not afraid to go up and uh, play the ball at 5'9", 170 pounds. I don't know if he's Deshaun or Tutu Atwell or, you know, Trendon Holiday type of 
guy that's really not a prospect, but seems like he's got some juice and can really be a playmaker down the field. They haven't had that kind of juice uh, out there at Boston College, really. Doesn't yeah. seem like it, no. no but they, they feel much more comfortable handing the ball off to A.J. Dillon 50 times. That's right. Yeah, I, I watched a little bit of that game, the Boston College-Duke game. Flowers certainly uh, made a little bit of an impact uh, in that match. Good line. Hunter Long's a nice tight end. Usually always looking at the trench players at BC. It was interesting to see a receiver making plays down the field. Dude, they've got the, the linemen we talked about in our ACC preview. You know, Zion Johnson got the start at left tackle. I thought he, he – he settled in a little bit. He gave up an early sack to Dimakije, the uh, the senior defensive end for Duke. Yeah, that kid's but, strong. Yeah, he yeah. is strong, and um, you know, but I, I I like Zion Johnson overall, especially at the guard spot. But I, I thought think, he settled I think there's in a, a clip bit. going around Twitter of Chris Rumpf uh, putting him on his butt on a little power rush as well. Yeah, you tagged I'll have to see me the tape if he maybe got tripped or his yeah. shoelace came undone. You know how that goes. <laughs> exactly right. But uh, they've got they've got some linemen up there as they usually do uh, at Boston College. Um, my down the road freak show. I'm going to double dip, guys. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned the SMU running back Ulysses Bentley. Uh, he was the backup in the game that I watched. Uh, I believe it was against Texas State. But he he really showed some juice and showed some wiggle at the second level. Had a couple touchdowns. Uh, one as a pass catcher, if I remember right i don't know if you guys saw the box score against north texas or if you saw the highlights but he went for 227 and three touchdowns he showed some wiggle he showed some speed certainly some shake in the hole i mean it was really really impressive uh, another great great outing for uh, ulysses bentley against north texas again not eligible for this class but file this name away for down the road ulysses bentley from smu really really good start to the season. All right, let's go to our film room recap. This is guys that uh, we've studied in, on film over the last week that has caught our eye. You know, look, I, I mentioned that when the Big Ten uh, got postponed, I had kind of pushed the pause button on watching Big Ten players because I wanted to kind of wait and see how things shook out. This weekend, I watched the Ohio State linebackers. So Baron Browning, Pete Werner, Tough Borland, uh, those guys coming back. Guys, I really liked Baron Browning. And Pete Warner is intriguing, too. I actually think both guys could be NFL starters. Uh, I wrote down Matt Milano when watching Pete Warner. I'm interested to see how Warner tests because, uh, you know, Milano was a really – was a freak athlete, and he was used all over the field at Boston College and uh, has really turned into kind of that do-everything player for Buffalo. I think Warner can do do a lot of the same. You know, Ben, I remember sitting next to you watching film last fall, you know, of that Ohio State defense and talking about how Warner just gave them the flexibility to stay in base against three or four receiver sets. And, you know, you see him rotate to the post. And, you know, I saw all, all that on film watching them. So, you know, you see a guy that maybe he's not like super explosive, but just really fluid, really comfortable moving in reverse, um, you know, shows a knack for navigating through traffic. And then you look at Baron Browning and Browning, they're both around the same size, 6'3", 240 pounds. Um, but then when you look at Browning, I mean, this kid, he's really well put together. He checks all the boxes. I mean, he's a good athlete, uh, really notable change of direction, fluid in reverse, good straight line speed. He's got a second gear downhill to close, really good blitzer. He had five sacks last year, can man up on running backs, can play in the hole. He's got good play strength, solid key and diagnosability. He can play through contact. No ball disruptions in coverage. It's a little bit of a question. He did have a pass breakup that led to an interception, so it didn't end up in the box score. To me, like, I was watching Baron Browning saying, like, I can't wait to watch this guy with a full season as a starter because he played behind um, – who was the kid that was the third-round pick of the Ravens? This Malik Harrison. Malik Harrison, thank you. He played behind Harrison, uh, so came off the bench. But Browning played a ton of snaps uh, in the middle of that defense, played a couple of different spots. I like both players. I think they can both be starters uh, in the NFL. Tough Borland, probably more. Um, look, he's going to be a three-year captain. Uh, really instinctive. He's tough, uh, but I just think he's, he's got a lot of physical limitations that I think will be tough to overcome. I wrote down Tyler Matakevich, who has carved out a role you know, in the league, but I just feel that Werner and Browning, uh, I think, have starting potential in the league. 
So you're telling me you get your hands on a ball and it gets picked off behind you? You don't get the PBU? You don't get the PBU. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't show up in the box. College has got to clean up some of that stuff. They're losing the rushing yards for sacks. You know, a couple yeah. of things they got to clean up in the stack. It throws, it throws everything off. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just impressed with your ability to use the number of times you use tough when you described tough Borland. That was no uh, accident, Dean. You uh, said he was very over. tough, and uh, true. some of the stuff is tough to overcome. True. Um, so I'm just, I'm just impressed by that. But no, I'm glad you, what you mentioned about Browning because he has so much talent, so much ability, and it's just – is he going to be able to be put in a position where he can showcase it and put it all together this year? This is a huge year for him in terms of showcasing what he could do because he could be a, a top 75 pick easy he if he's be. able yep. to you know, put it all together. So I uh, just need to put it on film. And I think Pete Warner has such a low floor, or excuse me, a high floor where he's a really safe player. At the very least, he's going to be a great special teams player. He's going to be a sub yep. linebacker. The yep. fact that he has 30-plus snaps at wide corner that tells me he's going outside the numbers, the matchup against tight ends, put on the Penn State tape. You can watch him battle Pat Fryermuth, a bunch of plays, particularly on third down. Not the greatest in man-to-man coverage, but really good zone instincts, awareness, reaction, really good jams and reroutes, heavy hands, a stack and shed. He's a guy that's just a really good football player. And I remember watching that Michigan tape next yep. to you last year, Fran. He'd be the free safety, the slot cover. He'd be an off-ball backer. He'd rotate to half-field safety. Literally one of the most diverse games I've ever seen from an off-ball linebacker. I wrote down Croy Bierman watching him too, Ben. Hmm. That's a fun little kind of hybrid player there. I I wrote down Fred Warner, who's, uh, you know. That's hybrid. Pete Warner sitting here at 6'3", 242, and I'm finally registering Warner, Warner. I don't think I (laughs) meant to make that a thing, but just the fact that Fred Warner was also that kind of in-space linebacker at BYU that was tough at the point of attack, yet had the athleticism in the pass game, similar type of player. Dane, who'd you go with here? Well, I I woke up with a a smile on my face this morning because the uh, Western Kentucky-Louisville tape came in. uh, It was in my inbox uh, from the season opener. And so I was able to – well, just D'Angelo Malone was so good in that game. Oh, man. So watching that tape this morning was a lot of fun. I actually got on the phone with him too and had a nice little chat. So – Oh, um, nice. Something will be up on the athletic on is Wednesday. Is Trevor so Reed not playing for uh, Louisville yet? He's a backup. I think it's more of a, a playbook thing, you know, yeah. just Juco learning everything. And so I sounds like they're going to work him in, but he's been more of an off-the-bench guy so far. But the guy I wanted to talk about, uh, Buffalo tackle, Coyote Awosika, right tackle. Uh, he's one of those prospects from the MAC who, unfortunately, he's just kind of waiting to hear about whether or not he's going to play football this season or – does he have to consider coming back for a six-year of eligibility or his college career, is, is it over? So it's just going to be really interesting uh, with him. I, I don't think he has necessarily the prototypical size. He's solidly built. Uh, and I think he has really athletic feet. Body control is there. He flashes power in his upper body as a run blocker. Uh, does a nice job handling stunts, twists, in the, and, and pass pro. That's the good. And there's plenty of things he needs to work on, too. His landmarks are inconsistent. Uh, his feet tend to slow at contact, which – causes his upper and lower halves to be on different pages and that gives you some of those balance issues so I, I think Awasika needs coached up and it, it's a shame he can't be on the field right now to get better but I think this is a solid mid-rounder who could potentially push for top 100 status with a, a strong pre-draft process 
I have known nothing about them, so I'm, I'm literally writing them into my sheet as we uh, as we sit here. Ben, I wrote down uh, a couple notes because uh, Jared Patterson, you know, ran for 1,800 yards last year for Buffalo. Somebody was paving the way, and a lot of times it was uh, Iowa Sika at right tackle. They're a really hmm. good player. I think he played Penn State last year as well. Yep. So if the group of five things kind of uh, temper in you, there's some power five uh, competition you could watch him facing against. But, Fran, I'm going to stick with Big Ten linebackers here. And we're going to talk about Devin Bush's replacement at Michigan. And that's Cameron McGrone, which I haven't seen a whole lot of conversation nationally about this kid. But every time I watch him or put the Michigan tape on or had the privilege of doing two Michigan games last year uh, against Illinois and Alabama, this guy makes a ton of plays. He's 6'1", 232, so a much taller prospect than the squattier 5'11", Devin Bush. But this kid's tough downhill in the gaps. Really good pursuit speed laterally. He's a fluid athlete. He can blitz and chase and change directions. He's often mugging the B gaps and down around the line of scrimmage on third down for those, some of those sim pressures and twists. He's a Mike linebacker. He's the core of the defense as a sophomore last year, setting, you know, calling the plays and getting the calls in. Bunch of production getting after the quarterback, too, with nine TFLs, two and a half sacks. He bites on some things. He has poor eye discipline, a lot of fakes, misdirections. Typically happens for young first-year linebackers. But I like what he did that first year on tape. And I would tell anyone, put on the Penn State game or the Alabama game in the bowl game. He makes a lot of plays, looks like he's a good athlete, number one player in Indiana coming out, actually has a brother with autism as well, and has done a lot of great things off the field and just helping out his family. Just a really good kid all around. He's just uh, just kind of have a crush on him uh, on and off the field. Mm. Yeah, I've I've not done McGrone yet, Dane. I know you, I remember you texted me after you did him uh, in the summer. Uh, what are your thoughts, McGrone? I liked him not as much as I thought I w- I would. Um, only average size. Uh, I, that's really that com- what comes down for me. He can get lost in a crowd. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to see him get a little more powerful with his hands so he can sift through and everything. But in space, I, I really like him. Uh, you know, he's athletic, smooth hips. I thought he was an instinctive player, uh, and he doesn't take plays off. He plays with that same energy that you know, Devin Bush played with. So uh, I like McGrone. Just want to see him get a little bit stronger at the point of attack. But yeah, he, he is a next level player for sure. Beautiful. Well, guys, this was great. Uh, stay right where you are, though. We're going to transition now into our next segment. It's time to go on the clock. On the clock. All right, well, back for another edition of On the Clock. Chris McPherson, we'll welcome him back in. Let me just uh, kind of uh, set the table here. Dane got the win in week one. Ben got the win in week two. So i, I got to get off the schneid here for, for week three. And, and for this one, we are going to talk about the best man-to-man cover corner in college football this year and potentially for the NFL draft. Guys, any opening shots before we get started here? I know Ben's excited to, uh, to get back into this thing. He's been chomping at the bit. We were talking about it over the weekend. Dane, any thoughts as we go into this discussion? Well, I think we have to uh, put it out there. Who had the first pick for this category? Who had the first pick? We're going on a rotation. You got the first pick. I, I know. Week, just, week one. Ben got just, the rotation. Just <laughs> want the listeners to know, uh, you know, no cooking of the books. Not saying that. All right. All right. Well, look, Complaints I, I, already? We already have complaints out of the gates. I've got, look, I, I've got Jeez. the first pick. I've got the first pick. And I went with Alabama cornerback Patrick Sertan Jr. And C-Mac, when it comes to man-to-man coverage, I'm looking for a guy that can play in a phone booth throughout the route. Does he have not just the speed to be able to turn and run vertically, but more importantly, in my opinion, that transition quickness to run routes alongside the wide receiver. And that requires not just foot speed, but 
you know, the smooth hips and also the, the mental processing too. You need a guy that is schooled up. He is coached up with the physical traits to pair with that. So he can stay so close to the receiver that at any given point, he can reach into his back pocket and steal his wallet. That's what I'm looking for. That being said, we're going to talk about Patrick Sertan Jr. As I alluded to, C-Mac, this kid is the prototype. As Ben will say, he was made in the lab. He was made in the Petri dish. He's 6'2". He's over 200 pounds. He lives in press coverage, and he has all of the traits to play press man at a high level in the NFL. He's got a strong jam. He's disciplined. He doesn't open the gate too fast and give up an easy release. And then he's got the tools to turn and run and stay in phase on vertical routes. But then you talk about the mental side of the game. And not only – do you recognize that name, Patrick Sertan? You know, his dad was the three-time Pro Bowl corner for the Dolphins and the Chiefs. So, you know Junior's been getting groomed for this position since he could walk. But even then, you remove that part of the equation. This guy has been a starter for Nick Saban since day one on campus. Saban is a defensive backs coach through and through. His schemes are not easy. You know that the last guy to come in and start – as a true freshman for Saban was Minka Fitzpatrick. He's turned into a pretty good player in the NFL. And as a true freshman back to a couple of years ago, 2018, Patrick Sertan came in. He started 12 games for a team that went to the title game. He racked up seven pass breakups and a pick was named SEC all freshman. He backed that up. Last year as one of the top corners in the SEC as a sophomore. He's smart. He reads routes incredibly well. He's got a great feel for staying in that hip pocket for the receiver. He's highly competitive. He went toe-to-toe with Jamar Chase, who we all agree is the top receiver in this class. And I, I believe, Dane, we credit him with, what, one catch in man-to-man against Sertain in that game last fall. Sertain has got outstanding physical traits. He's got the mental makeup you look for with his toughness and instincts. He's got the pedigree. I don't know what else to say. I, I just think he's not only the top corner in this class, but he's the top man-to-man corner as well. If I need one guy in this class to shadow an opposing receiver for one game, one play, I'm calling Patrick Sertan's number. All right. Good opening salvo. Good opening salvo. Okay. I, I, I've heard of robber technique before, yeah. but I didn't realize it's actually pickpocketing you know, the wide receiver right. or the offensive player. So, uh, Dane, let you go number two here. So, yeah, that, that was a strong opening statement, no question, uh, from Fran. But I'm going to tell you why Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech is the choice here. And we know the unofficial scouting motto is traits over production. You want a player with the traits that translate to the NFL. But in a perfect world, you want traits and production. And that's why you go with Farley. First, the traits. 6'2", 207 pounds. Uh, he's expected to push for the four threes and the 40-yard dash. Right there, NFL teams are salivating. He stays balanced in his footwork, in his transition. He can press. He quickly gains leverage mid-route so he can uh, dominate man-to-man coverage. And he does a great job staying square. He can anticipate. He can get his head turned, locate, make plays. I feel like a a bad infomercial right now. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Also throw in the production that he's put together the last two seasons. And that's really what puts him over the top, over Sertain. 25 passes defended, six interceptions. So you have the traits, you have the production, and I don't think he's anywhere near his ceiling as a football player. In high school, this guy was a quarterback, a really, really dynamic athlete. He had 58 touchdowns his senior year, which still ranks third best ever in the state of North Carolina. Uh, He signed with Virginia Tech as a wide receiver. He moved the cornerback prior to the 2018 season, never played defense before the 2018 season. His first game at corner against Florida State, 
two interceptions. This kid is a natural, such little experience at the position, but what he has shown so far, that gives you the optimism that he's only going to get better and better and better. He's already opted out. Uh, you know, his, his mom died from breast cancer two years ago. He didn't want to take any chances with losing another loved one. Traits, production, huge upside. The coaches love him. That's the Caleb Farley story. That's why he's the pick here. Ooh, strong. Strong finish there. So what about, uh, Fran, real quick, Patrick Sertain, how about his production? Okay, Dane brought up a good note there with the traits and production. You know, obviously talk about the lineage coming from Alabama. His father was in the league a long time. How about Sertain's production? So last year, 42 tackles, two picks, eight pass breakups. The year before, 37 tackles, one pick, seven pass breakups. So, uh, you know, he's been productive on the ball throughout the course of his career so far. I mean, you're talking about a guy uh, who has started 25 games, and he's got uh, two – I'm doing my math here – 10. He's got 18 ball disruptions uh, in in 20-some starts. That's a pretty strong uh, resume so far for a young corner. Dan, one question on Kale before I get to Ben. How, is he, how has he been utilized at Virginia Tech? They'll play him press. They'll play him off. They, they mix him up and do a lot of different things. But I think by far he's shown his best uh, man-to-man where he can get physical, be aggressive, and still use that athleticism. Uh, has that size, that length, but still has that speed. It's just a really, really unique combination. All right, Ben, you were a bull in a china shop last week. I want to feel that energy again. You're going last year. It might be a difficult proposition. Can you bring it? Okay. It's sort of like, you know, the, these stadiums that don't have fans. Okay. You got to generate your own juice. He has been anonymously like- quiet so far this segment, which has me a little bit worried. Is it connection? Soaking okay? it all in. Just letting everybody <laughs> breathe. You know, and these, these corners are each over 200 pounds, C Mac. And it's so easy to get excited about the size and the length. And, but those are the outliers of the group. There's only so many Patrick Petersons and Akita Talibs that work out being those heavy 210-pound corners. The best man-to-man corners in the NFL are the ones that are 190 with good physicality because you got to be able to match up against these smaller, shiftier receivers in the NFL. And there's some really shifty ones. Patrick Sertan, I thought, struggled against some of those smaller receivers. Don't put on that South Carolina tape where he gave up eight catches on 10 targets. But, yeah, he did play well against uh, Jamar Chase. And same kind of thing with uh, Caleb Fairley. I think he just struggles with the twitchier guys. And they're just both a little grabbier at the top of the routes and at the catch point. But when they're 6'2", 205 pounds, they kind of get away with it. But I'm talking about Sean Wade at Ohio State the number two corner in the class behind Jeffrey Akuda, who was the number three pick last year in the draft, 6'1", 195 pounds, played a lot of that nickel position, C-Mac. So you got to face those slot receivers with two-way goes and you're a run defender. So you have to be able to show up with your play strength and your physicality first and foremost as well. Also having that press man, you know, kind of acclimate and the ability to mirror receivers and play the ball. But the play strength in that 6'1", 195-pound package is just as comparable as Fairley or Sertan over 200 pounds. But I feel like Wade moves better than those bigger corners. So the speed, the movement, the play strength, the physicality, I really see a Marcus Peters or even our own Darius Slay type of corner where they're really feisty and they play much bigger than that size indicates. And I really think Sean Wade's going to be a, a matchup type of guy in the NFL to go mirror whoever you need to and be that alpha corner for an NFL team. 
Now, Ben, has he played on the outside, or has he, has he been strictly nickel through this time? He, he has been primarily nickel in his career. Last year, he was about 84%. 2018, about 78%. So splitting the difference, right about 80% in his career. Ben, what's Sean Wade going to run in the, uh, at the Combine, you think? Listen, I don't like to get caught up in the underwear Olympics. <laughs> and, you know, this is a guy that it was productive, put on a lot of snaps on tape. He may be that 4-5-2 guy that doesn't oh. get super excited. Oh. But he might That's be great for a linebacker. 20, 20 reps, you know, at the bench press. And he's a guy that, you know, isn't, isn't all about the speed. And he's in some 4-3-3 finesse corner. He's going to mix it up with you with his play strength, beat you up at the line of scrimmage, and really beat you up in the route and never really have to use all that kind of speed that some of these other corners need to with their recovery and their makeup ability. So he may not be a blazer, but I think he makes up for it with his play strength. Oh, I was liking a lot that that play speed is going to be a little tough for me to overcome there. So I like the Marcus Peters comparison and certainly uses that physicality to get away from it. So any, uh, any last statements here before I go to make a decision? I, I feel like, uh, I feel like we, we've got all our parting shots in. Okay. We're going to leave it out there. All right. So need the athleticism. Okay. So that's why I'm going to take Sean way off the table. Not that he's not athletic. I do like the size that, you know, you brought about Darius Slays a similar in a similar mold there. So you look at the top corners, like look, they have that elite athleticism. So I think that's gotta be in play. Okay. Certainly you love to find someone with, with the size, uh, the upside as well. Dane, I think you're getting number two here. Okay. I'm going to go Caleb Farley. Yes. Tech. It's now the one thing that really pulled it close is I know Fran has a good eye for cornerbacks. Okay. I've kept this in mind over the years when it came to Trey White in this draft a couple of years ago. Fran was like, this is the best corner in this draft class, and we've seen what he's become one of the top, you know, five, top three corners. In Don't all try and butter me up after you throw a dagger <laughs> in my chest. I'm, about, I'm just saying, that's why, you know, when you said, when I was like going into this, like best corner, I'm like, I feel like it's if it has a Fran Duffy seal of approval and he's going first, you know, I, I'm going to feel pretty good about it. But, uh, you know, I, I love the size, the rare size, the athleticism, the production. You know, Dane just made a, made a good case. So we'll have our first two-time winner here. Dane Brugler getting it here. Uh, Fran, we'll just have to, uh, we'll have to wait another week. They're the same height and four pounds difference. All right, all right. Farley's got a little more production, and I mean, he doesn't—he he didn't have the luxury of having a Pro Bowl dad to teach him everything. So he's still—he's going to be better and better. But look, hey, Sertan and Farley—I think easily the top two corners yes. in this draft. So I—I I really think you're—we're talking about a close call here. And I think Fran, you made the point. It could be a Okuda, C.J. Henderson type of conversation yep. where we're talking about two top ten picks. Uh, and so far, you know, C.J. Henderson—I mean, it's been two games. C.J. Henderson's been really impressive where Akuda struggled a little bit. So, you know, it's uh, we're talking about two really good corners here who, uh, you know, I, I think are going to prove to be high picks and, and starters pretty quickly in their NFL careers. Well, oh, Sean Wade did an externship with the WWE. I forgot to throw that in there. <laughs> oh, all of you said that. Recount. Recount. Recount there. Well, oh. and I have real quick, C-Mac, for Sean Wade. Yeah. Uh, I wrote down two Eagles-related comparisons for him. Um, Bobby Taylor and Namdi Asamoah. You're talking about Namdi, obviously, coming out of Cal uh, with what he did with the Oakland Raiders. Um, I just see him as that kind of big, long, physical, uh, you know, versatile player who can line up inside and outside. So, 
Really like all three players. Uh, C-Mac, thanks so much for joining us once again here on On the Clock. We'll talk to you guys next week. Ben, Dane, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Before we continue with this episode, I want to take a quick second to remind you that we are now just six weeks away from Election Day, which is crazy. Uh, November 3rd, just six weeks away from this Tuesday. Did you know that four years ago, 100 million eligible voters did not participate in the general election? And I don't care who you support, but that number is way, way, way too high. And so I've got a short list of questions for you. Number one, are you registered to vote? And if you are, Have you checked in to see if you can vote early? Do you know where you can go to vote in your district? Do you know what time you can get to your polling place? If you answered yes to all of these, then you're ready to rock. But if not, you have got some work to do, my friend, over the next couple of weeks. Voting matters, and that's for everybody, not just for this presidential election, but for your local and state elections as well. Please, it is all of our civic duty to make sure that our voices are heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Hope you guys enjoyed that on-the-clock segment with C-Mac, Ben, and Dane. Uh, now let's wrap this show up with Draft Mailbag. Again, just a quick reminder, go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you like what you hear, if you've got a question, we will answer it. Jake Hubbs left a five-star review just saying how much they're loving the debate segment of the show. I'm assuming that that is in reference to our on-the-clock segment. Jake, thanks so much for the review. I'm really enjoying that segment as well. Honestly, uh, just a little bit behind the scenes, I came up with that idea kind of like last minute, like late in the summer during training camp. Uh, ran it by the guys and they were all excited for it so we we decided to plug it in and this has been a really fun addition uh, to this show hope you guys uh, are enjoying it Um, also real quick before we cut out uh, we got a mock draft from a longtime listener on Twitter Pete Nathan I know he's a longtime listener to the show so he sent me this mock draft uh, on Twitter and real quick we'll just go through some of these picks Uh, 18th or 16th overall he's got the Eagles selecting Florida tight end Kyle Pitts really athletic tight end he's a little bit on the undersized side Uh, he's a local kid from Philadelphia um, and really the we're talking about one of the more athletic, dynamic players at the tight end position uh, in this draft. So, you know, an interesting selection there for the Eagles in round one. Second round, 48th overall, he's got Georgia corner Eric Stokes. We talked about him during the SEC preview. It's a really loaded Georgia secondary down there. Uh, and I, I kind of like Eric Stokes. He's long, he's competitive, he's physical. I like him up at the line of scrimmage and press coverage. Uh, I, I like Eric Stokes. So that's an interesting selection there. Baron Browning, we talked about him earlier. Uh, he's got a really high upside, and this is going to be his first year as a starter uh, now that you know they've kind of transitioned a little bit uh, defensively you know they, he's got a lot of really intriguing tools you talk about his athleticism his closing speed his ability to play in coverage he hasn't really done much from a production standpoint in coverage but the tools are there to be really good and then also he's a really aggressive run defender as well he's a big strong kid 6'3 over 240 pounds so Baron Browning high upside linebacker there in round three um, 143 overall I have not done North Dakota State uh, Cordell Volson. I haven't done the other kid, uh, Dylan Raddins, as well. I have not done uh, either of the North Dakota State tackles. Uh, Auburn wide receiver Anthony Schwartz, the next pick there at 151 overall. This kid's a speed demon. Speedster, one of the top, most uh, dynamic athletes in the SEC. And you're talking about, obviously, a division full of, chi- of outstanding athletes. So Anthony Schwartz, really, really explosive, really dynamic. And then we've got Michigan State safety, Xavier Henderson. I have not done him yet. He's 175 overall in this mock. And then lastly, 
207 overall, Oklahoma running back, Kennedy Brooks. I, I like Kennedy Brooks. Talked about him in our Big 12 preview. I think he's a really well-rounded player. I actually talked about him last week as well in that conversation with Ben on Under the Hood. I, I thought that he really has such a well-rounded skill set that you know maybe he makes it as a, as a three-down starter, but I think he'd be a great backup as a guy that can come in, carve out a role uh, as a three-down player for an NFL offense. And He just does a little bit of everything really, really well. He's not a dynamic player in the open field, but a really patient runner, can competitive, can chip in as a pass catcher, can do a lot of different things for you. Very similar to like a Corey Clement. I think Kennedy Brooks uh, maybe a little bit better in terms of what he is as a prospect coming out. Uh, obviously, Clement went undrafted out of Wisconsin, but Kennedy Brooks uh, is a player I really like, and I, I liked his transition to the NFL. So, uh, Pete, really appreciate you sending that mock draft in. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. We'll be back a little bit later uh, this week. Really excited to keep things going later in the week with Ross Tucker. Ben Fennell, obviously, will be back and we'll have a special guest as well until then we will talk to you next time here on the journey of the draft podcast driven by triple a